Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Football is going to Rome after Italy beat England to win Euro 2020 and we're all having a good laugh about it. Although the Taoiseach offered his diplomatic support, many Irish people simply couldn't support the English. Now, there's a really interesting current narrative doing the rounds that basically if you hate the English football team you're somehow racist or whatever. But people seem to understand rivalry is not racism. It's just rivalry. On the 100th anniversary of the truce in the War of Independence, is our sporting identity a reflection of relations with the old enemy? Um, we only need to look back to Crow Park in 2007 when Ireland played England and, you know, the anticipation of God Save the Queen being played in Crow Park. Um, and that demonstrates the intense rivalry. Um, and, and even now, a poor Six Nations tournament can be rescued by a, a good performance against an English side. I'm Fionn Sheehan and you're listening to In Focus, the current affairs podcast from independent.ie. Today I'll be talking to Dr Siobhan Doyle, cultural historian at the Technological University of Dublin, and Ian O'Doherty, columnist with the Irish Independent on Anglo-Irish sport and politics. Will you be sporting England in the final? I certainly will not be, no. I wouldn't have any problem normally supporting England unless they were playing Ireland. More Italy man myself now. I, I just prefer the way Italy play. Italians all the way. Just have Italy back from the start. But I think the football team itself, I think people actually like the team. It's just what goes on around them people don't like. I hope they lash their one. Ciao, Ian. Come here, Oji. So, we have engaged or found a reason to engage in our favourite pastime, and that's having a good laugh uh, at the English football team. Why to. to, And and what a laugh it has been. (laughs) Why to to mention the war do we engage in such Schadenfreude all of the time? Um, Because it's immense fun, it's hugely gratifying. It appeals to the lesser angels of our nature and it's about sport and sport is all about the lesser angels of our nature. It's about rivalry. Um, I don't know if the Germans have a word for schadenfreude but if they did that would be something similar to that. Like, you know what I mean? Um, and it's, it's, but the, the thing is what we've seen in the run-up to this tournament throughout the tournament and then even up to and subsequent to the events on Sunday night um, the English are just a very, very... When it comes to football, they're very, very hard to love. They're very hard to like. Um, it's incredibly easy to despise them. And it's things like 
on the one hand, you have this incredibly right-on football team. You know, they're all ambassadors for various different charities. They're all, you know, they're all sort of socially aware and stuff like that. And you know, and that's fine. You know, if you believe, if you want your sport to come with a dollop of politics, they certainly hit all the, you know, they hit all the right on spots. And the irony, though, is that their fans are completely the polar opposite. <laughs> half of them are thugs and the other half are animals, it seems like, you know. And like, and so I've often asked them, do I have a complicated relationship with the English? And I go, well, no, I have a complicated relationship with my English mother-in-law. But that's about the, that's about as far as it goes. I really like the English. I grew up always feeling, as a young fellow from Crumlin, who's an urban working class guy, I always, you know, who grew up listening to Joy Division and the Smiths and Happy Mondays and stuff. I always had, far, and it's not that I felt I had more in common, I had more in common with a, a young from the same age who would have come from Manchester than I would have with a young from the same age who would have come from rural Galway, for example, you know, from one of the backs. Because, you know, as a city boy, I think, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of dubs often get accused of being sort of almost like West Brits, even when they're working class. It's just as city boys, we had more in common with the English cities than we would have had with the Irish countryside. So I have absolutely no issues whatsoever with the English. I love their humour, love their music. We all watch their TV. I follow Man United. Um, I've spent summers in Birmingham. All the usual things, you know, I, I tick all of those boxes. But I laugh my black little heart off every time they lose in some spectacular and hilarious fashion. Because, for starters, the media, right? Um, even my mother-in-law, who is English, can't watch the BBC or ITV because it's so jingoistic. Um, and she's a woman who's been living in Mayo for 40 years or whatever, you know, but she can't. So she likes to see the bits of the homeland, but she can't watch it. She just can't, she can't handle them. And I, we've been hearing a lot of guff over the last few weeks about why we should all support the English. Um, and most of it nonsense from people who don't understand football and don't care about football, but they just want to show how right on they are. Um, I would say to those people, sit down and watch Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer for 30 seconds and then come back and tell me if, you still have, if you're still of the same opinion. Because if you say you are, you're a liar. These people would drive a saint to drink. They just bring it, they can't help themselves. It's, it's this national psychosis that they have every time they get into a tournament. And it's almost actually charming. You know, because you just go, okay, every two years, be it the World Cup, be it the Euros, they make the same mistakes all over again. They get one half-decent result and they think they're going to win. On Sky News, at four o'clock on Sunday afternoon, so four hours before the final even kicked off, on Sky News, they were discussing England's chances of winning the World Cup in Qatar to make it a double. Right. <laughs> but but the whole point of the football's coming home is that it's actually a, a melancholic melancholic journey through the psyche of the English fan that you know they're continually disappointed. Yeah. But as soon as the tournament comes on, they they're they think they're going to win. This is it. it it's a, you know football football's coming home. It's coming home as um. It's a brilliantly crafted song with actually very poignant lyrics and stuff. And, and David Padale has been at, you know, pains to point out that it's not tub thumping. You know, it's actually, a bit, it's that very English self-deprecating kind of sense of humour about it. Now, something that might be beyond a lot of their fans when they're bellowing it out after 15 cans of Stella or whatever, you know. Um, but the, no, it's, look, on one element, I actually feel sorry for them because you get the impression that this, very brittle arrogance that they have is fueled by massive insecurity. Um, and it's also fueled by the fact that they realise that they are the mill wall of Europe. Nobody likes them. And it's not just it's not just the Irish. So, like, I mean, all the, you know, 
pieces in our paper saying, oh, we should be, you know, supporting the English. And we, the Irish, we need to get over ourselves. It's not just the Irish. It's the Scottish. It's the Welsh. It's the French. It's the Germans. It's the Italians. It's all the other countries in the EU. Um, and this is not, they don't, this is nothing to do with Brexit. You know, one of the, one of the, the greatest leaps that I've seen from the chin, from the chin stroking columnists is, oh, this is, you know, the, the anti-English sentiment is all a result of Brexit. But most football fans don't give a toss about Brexit whatsoever. It's just that they, they, they like laughing at the English. And so can you separate out your feelings about the English football team, and not even the team, the, the fans and the circus that, that goes with it, and your sentiment towards English people. So is this kind of a, a performance on our part where we go, ha having a good laugh at the English over there, but actually tomorrow we'll actually respect the, their culture and the country that, that they oh, are absolutely. and their people. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's good-natured. You know, now there was one interesting thing that um, there was a, a lady appeared on Liveline recently, an English lady who's lived here for 20 years, and she was talking in the run of the final that, and throughout the tournament that she wouldn't have felt comfortable wearing an England jersey and her husband wouldn't have felt comfortable wearing an England jersey going into a pub. Um, now, to that I would say it would, it would depend entirely on which pub it is that you're going into. You know, I know certain pubs that you'd be fine and other pubs that you really wouldn't be a good idea. Um, now, it's, it's ridiculous that somebody feels that they can't wear their national colours. Right, I mean, without so that's that's where it gets into like a really serious and obnoxious, and it, it reflects very badly on us. But then that same lady who I was feeling a great deal of sympathy for uh, when she was complaining and bemoaning the fact that we don't like, you know, that we don't support the English, then she turned around and she started supporting their decision to boo everybody else's national anthem. <laughs> and you're kind of gone. Don't help themselves. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I rest my case. Yeah. This is why we can't stand them. Yeah, you know, and like, and even when you have the you know Captain Wright on. Gary Neville defending the booing and stuff like that. And you, don't, you know, they need to ask themselves, look, lads, you're the only country in the tournament who's doing this. You know, this is why people don't like you. You know, and they can, they can adopt all the fancy Black Lives Matter slogans they want and they can, you know, have all the rainbow flags and they can come out and do all the various different sort of, you know, posturing that they want. But at the end of the day, what a lot of people will remember from Sunday's um, events it was the violence in the concourse outside Wembley. It was the the, tickle, the ticketless fans sort of you know rushing the ground. It was the booing of the anthem. It was it was all the now they're perfectly entitled to do the booing. For example, you know I've no problem with that. If you want to boo the anthem, boo the anthem, and I don't think UEFA should have fined them for doing that. Um, but the thing about it is, if you're going to do that, well then don't whine when everybody else looks at, looks at you with contempt. So is it anti-English racism to actually be cheering for Italy on Sunday night if you're an Irish person? Um, this is one of the great things is that has rivalry now become racist? And I've seen this thing, I've seen, you know, the, the, this insinuation um, that, you know, this is an acceptable form of racism, you know, where we can get away with sort of... Um, absolutely not. It's in the same way that you wouldn't expect Man United fans to support Liverpool fans or to support Liverpool, if, if, you know, if they're playing in Europe or something like that. Um, rivalry is at the heart of sport. And the unfortunate thing about football over the last few years is that it's become very gentrified. Uh, it's become, you know, what was a working class game now seems to despise the traditional working class fan. So it's the game has become very sanitised. And I think that's one of the reasons why people now get really freaked out when they see a return to things like, say, booing or raucous crowds and stuff like that. 
Like, so on, on one element, I mean, I do have a, a lot of sympathy for the average English fan um, who just sees that their game is being taken away from them, you know. Um, but then, again, as I said, when, when you start booing somebody's national anthem, you just go, ah, lads, come on, you know what I mean? Dr. Siobhan Doyle, what is national identity and in particular, how does it manifest itself in sport? National identity is shared. It's a shared sense of belonging grounded in different images and different stories and myths um, with which we can identify as either a nation state or as a long-standing ethnic population. And identity at a national level is always contested, like anything um, that that's collectively national, and and it can be derived from a range of different sources, whether it's our culture, our history, um, our economics, our society, but also our our, our sporting heritage. And I think sport, um, you know, it can emphasise the difference between our country and, and, and between another. And we perform national identity every day without even realising. So when we speak in an accent, when we speak our native language, place names, and we also rehearse ide- our identity when we're rooted somewhere else. And also, and sports is a way of doing that. So when we travel to tournaments elsewhere, um, our national identity is per- perhaps more pronounced. And sports brings, I think it brings great potential for engaging individuals with the concept of what a nation is. So when we wear the jersey, when we fly the flag, when we sing the national anthem, this, these are all performances of our national identity. And sports, I think, can provide emotionally charged occasions for us to be made aware of and also to ac- express our identity. So... Is it a performance, uh, a bit of acting, a bit of drama on our part when we're unwilling to support uh, the English? Or is that actually an expression of anti-English sentiment? I think, yes, it is an expression of anti-English sentiment. But we must remember that any conversation around Irishness or anti-English sentiment or why Irish people may not support English soccer teams or British soccer teams, we must understand that there's a wide range of influences for this. Um, They're personal, they're social, they're historical and they're political um, in this anyone but England kind of attitude. And that's crept into sports discourse, particularly um, since, since the Euro 2020 tournament. So we need to understand the complex relationship between Ireland and between England and we need to acknowledge the wider sociological and political factors that underpin our relationship. And often an imbalance there in that we're, they're not following us as closely as we follow them. I mean, they, they, they'd probably struggle to name our, our Taoiseach. They wouldn't really know what, what it is that, that's happening in, in, in the news. Yeah, and I think this sort of, um, this Ignorance it plays into it as well. So, for example, it, the, the UK education system um, at, at all levels from primary to uh, to third level universities is very reluctant to engage with um, the history of Ireland and our island and their relationship with us. And I think that feeds into um, our un- unwillingness to um, engage in their in their, their their sporting achievements in a positive way. But when you look at our, our main sports, 
and and their origins, they were largely founded uh, out of a, a concept of be, be it beating the old enemy or because of the old enemy or there was political factors at, at play there. So is our actual sporting identity in terms of our main sports in this country, is, is that also rooted in anti-Englishness? Yes, there is a there absolutely is, and there is a fascinating rivalry between um, both nations. You know, if if you think back to the establishment of the IRFU, um, that the whole idea of Irish rugby was for um, for to find a team that would play England, and I suppose even now. Um, you know, the, the annual contest in the Six Nations um, be, be, between Ireland and England, um, you know, there, there's a lot of um, weight placed on that particular fixture. Um, we only need to look back to Crow Park in 2007 when Ireland played England and, you know, the anticipation of God Save the Queen being played in Crow Park. Um, and, and that demonstrates the intense rivalry. Um, and, and even now, a poor Six Nations tournament can be rescued by a, a good performance against an English side. And likewise, w- would you say the same for the GAA, that there is an element of anti, anti-British anti sentiment there? Yeah, the whole creation of the GAA was, um, you know, th- this idea of trying to garner interest in more Irish-based um, sports and, and, and culture and, and language and, and Irish music and dance. That was the whole establishment of the GA in, in the 1800s was founded on that and trying to drag people from veering towards, um, you know, more British sports to, um, to, to bring it all back closer to home. And ironically, the Italians were the first ones who would play an actual football team from the Irish Free State. So we do actually have good reason to be supporting them uh, in the Euro 2020 final, even though at the time that was seen as a kind of a Catholic conspiracy on their part. What about our our recent history uh, with, with, the, with the UK and with the English in inverted commas. So you go back a decade, we had the, the Queen um, speaking Irish in, in Dublin Castle, her visit across the country seen as, as a, a, a great moment uh, of unity. And then in the past five years, we've had Brexit, the, the Northern Irish Protocol, tensions even over cooperation uh, and, and differences of implementation on, on COVID restrictions very much straining relationships, both north-south and, and the east-west between uh, on our islands. Do you think that plays out in sport as well? The politics of of both nations absolutely does play out in sports. You know, many would argue that sport is apolitical and that it's neutral and that when, when teams go onto the field or athletes go into the arena, all of all, all of those turmoils of everyday life and these political turmoil is left aside. But sport is intrinsically political. It's always there. There's always undertones of politics. And I think the politics ha- of Brexit in particular have played out in sport. You know, if we if we look to the joint UK and Ireland World Cup bid um, for for 2030, which perhaps now um, might have been um, quashed, um, given the the, the behaviour of, of of sports fans over the last couple of weeks, but that was that 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 potential World Cup bid was purely a political gesture, and on the British government side, because. This, this all came together as the British government were trying to mitigate bad press at the time during, during, due to the Brexit protocol and um, the, the Northern Irish border. And um, 
politicians often take sport as an opportunity um, to, you know, get get positive press and um, be part of um, a, a good news story for once. Um, but there, there's always a political context. So when the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney, is wishing the English team uh, well, saying good luck to England, best team in the tournament, we wish our neighbours well, and lots of people here are outraged about that. You'd think he was actually looking at a, a political context in a different audience there. Yeah, I think so. I don't think that that was for a domestic Irish audience. You know, he, he got a lot of comments and, and, and backlash saying you you don't represent my views as an Irish person. And um, I, I think that was purely um, a, a gesture towards um, other nations rather than our own. And then when Italy win the Euros uh, and break English hearts in London, you're, you don't think that that was actually the no, EU getting one up? No, unfortunately not. Like whether English England would have, would have won, at the end of the day, it still would have been them just winning a European tournament. It wouldn't have been an endorsement of Brexit. It wouldn't have been an endorsement of their politics or handling of the pandemic. It definitely wouldn't have been a justification for the deplorable behaviour of many of their fans. And it certainly wouldn't have been um, an endorsement of historical ignorance or supremacy. But they'll still blame the German referee. Absolutely. You are listening to In Focus, the current affairs podcast from independent.ie. Produced by Mary Carroll, sound designed by Dara Kelly and John Smith. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can read Ian O'Doherty's columns in the Irish Independent and on independent.ie.